Amen. I appreciate that good prayer. Last week in Acts, the second chapter, we began looking at the things that the people did in order to continue to save themselves. If you recall, Peter was very specific. He was not talking about going to heaven. He was not talking about being saved eternally. He was talking about touched in the heart, born again, children of God, affected by the dynamite of the gospel message, the power of the gospel message. They said, what do we do? And Peter was very explicit to save yourself, repent, be baptized. And they continued in those four things. And as we closed our comments last week, we introduced the Ephesian church, the church at Ephesus, which is one of my favorite examples in the scripture of a functioning, thriving church that eventually was not a functioning, thriving church. And there's specific reasons for that. And so we want to talk and follow up with that this morning. And I debated over what to call this message, but I think that I have settled on this, the easy path at Ephesus. One of the names I kicked around was the tormentors of Ephesus. But I feel like the easy path at Ephesus is going to encompass what is on my mind this morning and speak directly to what happened to Ephesus. So as we introduce that, we were in Revelation, the second chapter, where the Lord Jesus Christ is telling Ephesus what Ephesus' problem was. And I like what Brother Furman has told us over and over again. You know, the time to preach about problems is when you don't have any. <laughs> so don't think there's some specific problem that's going on that we need to hear this. Now, if I ever get up in the stand and I say, hey, look, there's a specific thing I need to preach to you about because this is an issue. You should be more than happy to receive that. <laughs> If it's on my heart and the Lord's laid it there. But I want you to see what the problem was at Ephesus. I think we can conclusively figure out what was going on at Ephesus. Revelations 2 and 1. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works. See, they had great works at Ephesus. And thy labor. They had much labor at Ephesus. And thy patience. They had a lot of patience at Ephesus. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. They had an intolerance for wickedness and evil. These are all good characteristics of a church, right? And watch this now. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. In my legal mind, I think that sounds like they were holding court a form of court, and I don't mean a civil court, but they were holding some type of ecclesiastical type court at Ephesus. Somebody would come along and say, hey, I'm an apostle. And they'd say, okay, we'll test whether or not you were an apostle. And they actually had trials. That's pretty extreme. I don't think we've ever had a trial in, in our church. I hope to goodness that we don't ever have to. <laughs> but you are called upon from time to time to use your judgment and say, is this right? Is this wrong? Well, they had actually gone to the extent it sounds like that they had held a court case or court cases and say, you're not an apostle. They determined based on the evidence, you're not an apostle. And it says in verse 3, thou hast born, hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. So what, what happened to Ephesus? If you think about how often I speak to you and refer to the book of Ephesians, I don't. I think we could easily conclude, and especially if they were holding trials about who were real apostles and who were false apostles, I think we could safely conclude that there was not a problem in belief and doctrine in Ephesus. Would you agree with me? I mean, they got it. The apostle, you, you said, well, I'm trying to learn what old Baptists believe. All you have to do is look at Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. That's what we believe. We believe what the church at Ephesus believed. And it speaks it so clearly. And by the way, that's one of those four things that I told you they continued in. They continued in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You know, so I don't think they had a problem with doctrine, especially if they're holding trials there on who's real apostle, who's a real apostle and who's not. But he says, remember, he says, I have something against you. Because you've left your first love. And some of you may say, well, yeah, you know, doctrine's my first love. <laughs> well, who's the speaker of the doctrine? You know, Jesus is capital D doctrine. You see, if you love the doctrine, you can't divorce that love of the doctrine from the one who is the capital W word of God. So they had fallen 
out of love or fallen from their first love of the one who had spoken the doctrine. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. So when we think about what they continued in and how they continued to save themselves, which one of those four had they fallen away from? It says they continued in the apostles' doctrine. I don't think that's it. They continued in the apostles' fellowship. Hmm. They continued in the apostles' breaking of bread. That's communion. I don't think they quit having communion. Do you? I don't think they quit eating together. And then it says they continued in prayer. I don't think these people quit praying. So of the four that became a problem for Ephesus, I believe it was the, the, the fellowship. I think that's the problem. They had left behind the beauty and the glory of fellowship. And you say, well, with Jesus? Yes. Well, I thought Jesus was in heaven. That's right. But his people and Jesus in the hearts of his people were still there on earth. <laughs> you see? So they'd gotten rigid. <laughs> they'd gotten legalistic. They had gotten over the top with their execution of making sure they had all the eyes dotted and the T's crossed and anybody that said they were an apostle but was a liar, you know, we find that you are a liar because you said you were an apostle. You know, and I get that. They were trying to to find out and figure out false apostles, but in the process of becoming so concerned over such things, they left their first love. They became legalistic, they became judgmental, and they lost fellowship. That's what happened at Ephesus. Child of grace, where is Ephesus today? It doesn't exist. That's why it doesn't exist. You say, well, you know, historically, you know, people moved to the, to the West and all this type of stuff. No, 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 I'm telling you. There'd be a church in Ephesus today. If God's so pleased to continue to have a church there, there would be a church there today doing those four things. If it were not for some way in which they had fallen from those things. Let this be a, a warning to us. So, Ephesus, when it came to the fellowship of the saints of God, they took the easy path, which led them away from fellowship. So, as we consider what Jesus says, don't worry, there's hope. He says, remember, remember, you left your first love. Remember from where you were fallen. Repent, do the first works. We touched on that last week. <laughs> or else, uh, you know, we don't like those kind of, that's, that's sort of like a parent ultimatum, isn't it? You better clean up your room or else. <laughs> well, we get that from Jesus, kids, young folks. We get it from Jesus. He said, you better straighten up or else. <laughs> he probably says it with a lot more love than I do <laughs> to my kids. But Jesus says, remember from where you're fallen or, and repent and do the first works or else. I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. If you want to know... A way to kill a church. It is to become judgmental and legalistic. That will kill a church. You say, well, Brother Tim, we've we've weathered you know the storm of the last year and a half. Well, I, I believe you're right. I believe we have. But there's still the possibility of us becoming judgmental and legalistic. <laughs> you know, of all this COVID stuff and vaccine or mask or no mask or we can still become legalistic. And I hope to I hope to not just on that issue, because this this is way bigger than just the last year and a half. You know, the last year and a half just showed the symptoms of deeper problems within people. You understand that? The heat always shows the heart. So our reactions to whatever's happened in the last year and a half shows what our heart's made of. That's the bottom line. So I ask you, are we taking the easy path like Ephesus did? Or are we going to take the straight and narrow path? This ties into Matthew 7 because it's all about judgment. It's all about fellowship. So we want to we want to make sure that we're taking the... The straight and narrow path. That's not the easy path. That is that the broad and wide path is the easy path. Okay. And if you've been told all your life, side note, if you've been told all your life that Matthew seven, the broad path is the way to hell and Matthew seven, the straight and the straight and narrow path is the way to heaven. And I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm happy to disappoint you because it's not talking about getting to heaven or hell. It's talking about good judgment. It's talking about fellowship. It's talking about pulling the beam out of your eye before you go dabbling with the speck that's in somebody else's eye. It's talking about not being judgmental and not being legalistic. So let's jump right into it. The easy path at Ephesus. And by the way, 
buried, this is why I think this is significant, because buried down within the letter to the Ephesians was the answer to this problem that they were having at Ephesus, where they were being judgmental, they were being legalistic, they were uh, doing all kinds of things that were contrary to their first love, okay? In Ephesians 4, in verse 31 and 32, buried down in the middle of that letter to the Ephesians was the answer that the Ephesians needed. And when Jesus said, go back and do the first works, remember from where you were fallen, he is basically sending them back to what the Apostle Paul wrote to them. In Ephesians 4 and 31, now I know that you've, you've probably heard versions of this sermon before, and there's a reason for that. Because this is something that we need to hear on an ongoing basis. This is, this is what I would call a maintenance message. <laughs> where we continue to tweak and maintain and make sure the engine's running right and make sure everything is going like it should. It's a maintenance message. But I hope coming from the angle of what happened at, at Ephesus will make the point. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. You know, we could have kind of marginalized this verse if the Lord had just left that last little phrase off, right? Well, you know, your forgiveness may not be quite like my forgiveness, and I might not go as far as you go, or you might not go as far as I go. But then the Lord had to throw in that last little line, didn't he? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And then you go, ooh, nobody can live up to that. In one sense... But child of grace, you can sure make it your goal and try and try and try again. You've heard me say many times, fake it till you make it. <laughs> there's some very, there's a lot of truth in that. So he's not saying that you should forgive someone and get along with someone because they deserve it. Because guess what, child of God, you didn't deserve God to forgive you. That's the standard right there. So when you think, well, I just can't forgive. I just can't get along. I just can't try one more time. You've got to come back to that and say, thank goodness Jesus didn't have that attitude. Thank goodness he was willing to go as far as he went in order to pay the price that he paid. And we have complete forgiveness in him. So the standard is the forgiveness that's in Christ. Now, I want you to think about the easy path is don't forgive. You know, don't even try to get along. That's what happened at Ephesus. They just quit trying to get along. And they got so rigid and legalistic and they put God in their little box And forgot about that he absorbed the loss for their sins. And they became judgmental and legalistic towards one another. God, help us to never get in that kind of a state. God, if you're married, God, help your marriage to never get in that kind of a state. If you have friends in this world, God, help us to not let your friend relations get in that kind of a state. So let's consider what it means to take the hard path. Okay? If you want to turn... Over in your Bibles to Matthew, the 18th chapter. This chapter is all about how we get along with one another. And notice, (laughs) Jesus is very specific. And I want to be very specific with it as we look at it. And remember where we started. The the thing that, that tripped up Ephesus was they lost sight of the fellowship of the saints. They lost sight of it. They became legalistic, they became judgmental, and they took the easy path and just say, okay, well, you know, it's just not worth it. Let me tell you something, Christ is worth it. (laughs) Christ is worthy of whatever we have to lay down and whatever we have to do in order to maintain saving ourselves. That's what this is all about, saving ourselves in this wicked, and and can can we agree that this is needed more so now than at any time in, in any of our lives with the darkness and all the things that are out there? Oh, we need to be laying down whatever we have to lay down in order to make it work. <laughs> okay, look at me in Mark, uh, Matthew 18. All right. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child. It's very interesting that Jesus calls a little child. And he sets the little child in the midst. He says, verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not talking about going to heaven, by the way. The kingdom of heaven is talking about the church. It's talking about the here and the now. It's not talking about the sweet by and by. It's talking about the nasty now and now. (laughs) Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But watch this now. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me. Listen to the language now. 
it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's very strong language. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. So I know that one of the primary applications there of that is to Judas Iscariot. Woe to Judas by which the offense, the greatest betraying offense that has ever been came uh, known to men. It came through Judas. It's interesting that Jesus throws in there that extreme account of betrayal. But everything this side of that is also what he's talking about too. Notice the apostles have already committed an offense. They've already offended Jesus by coming and asking him who's the greatest. You see, because they were jockeying for position among one another. Listen to me, child of grace. If the Lord Jesus Christ could hold together 11 men who were of such different background, ethnicities, uh, upbringings, political leanings, if the Lord Jesus Christ could bring those guys together and hold them together through his teaching and through his sacrifice, none of us have any kind of excuse. You know, think about Simon the Zealot. That guy was a, a political rebel. He was one that was ready to go and storm the Roman capital. He was ready to go and take up arms and do that. And then on the other end, you've got a guy like Matthew the publican. You think Matthew and, and Simon the Zealot really got along to begin with? Matthew the publican who would have been a betrayer, viewed as a betrayer of the Israelites. You can't get any more diverse than that politically. So you see... Christ brought it all together and kept it together by what we're talking about right here. They had already offended Christ by even asking him, who's the greatest? I'm sure Peter was thinking, I probably am because I talk the most. (laughs) And Jesus said, you're going to offend one another. You're going to have offenses. You can't get around it. You can't get around offending one another. You have sins and offenses of direct commission, and then you have sins and offenses of omission. Uh, The married folks can certainly identify with that. Anybody can identify with that. But, you know, brothers, I'll pick on the brothers. You know, have you ever omitted to do something that you had committed to do? Or maybe it was, you know, the anniversary and you omitted to send flowers or you waited till 5 o'clock you know, or 4.55 when the flower shop's about to close and you remembered. You know, you know, you might not have been intentional with that, but it's a sin of omissions. Offenses will come. You're not going to get out of this world without offenses. And I'll probably offend you. One of my children will probably offend you. I'll probably offend you multiple times. I might not mean to or intend to. And then, you know, I got a mean streak in me. I might mean to sometime. And I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm a sinner. I don't want to. I hope you can identify with that. Because we live in a world of offenses. Jesus said, woe unto the world because of offenses. But offenses come. They happen. Wherefore, if your hand or your foot offend thee, cut it off, cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt or maim. Notice, I think it's really interesting that he doesn't say, wherefore, if the person offends you, cut them off. (laughs) Do you notice that? He didn't say that. He said, wherefore, if your hand or your foot offends you, that's a personal thing. That's introspection, looking within. Our natural tendency would be, well, if that person's offended me, I'm cutting them off. See, that's contrary to the kingdom of God. Cast them from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life halt or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. Cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. Here he comes back to that. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. All right, he goes on with a sheep parable there. And, and it, then he comes down to verse, it's interesting that there in verse 15, he says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Here he lays down a pattern of how to deal with offenses. Right in the middle of all of this, they're wanting to know who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is laying down a pattern of how to get along with one another in the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Ephesus forgot. This is what happened at Ephesus. They forgot. They didn't forget the doctrine. They didn't forget to pray. They didn't forget to take communion. They forgot how to get along with one another. (laughs) So it goes on. Now, we're going to come back to Matthew 18 and verse 15 here in a a little bit. But I I just want to lay that groundwork there. And look at verse 21. There's much humor in the scripture. Much humor. If you'll just read it and kind of just let it speak to you. There's a lot of humor. So after Jesus gets through telling them who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. 
And he talks about forgiveness and talks about how to deal with offenses and how to get over offenses or deal with them. And then Peter comes to him and he says, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? <laughs> Peter's trying to get, get it on the ledger to know how many times he's got to do this. Can you see Peter? He's probably already thinking, okay, Simon offended me the other day because he's talking about all that political activism stuff. And then Matthew was offending me the other day because he was talking about he had some really good friends who were Romans, and they're pretty good people. I'm going to have to go to him. And then uh, what about, you know, my brother, of course. You know, my own brother has offended me because he, you know, he stepped on my toe. Can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind? And how many times have I got to do that? And, and good old Peter, you know, he says, seven times? <laughs> I don't know if y'all think that's funny. I think it's funny. <laughs> if that was Brother Tim responding, you know, the way I would respond, this is how I would have done it. I'd have said, I say not unto you seven times, but 70 times seven. <laughs> I would have just raised my hands and made a big gesture. You know, I'm sure Jesus didn't do it that way. Or if he did, he didn't sin like I would have. But he says, I say not unto thee until seven times, Peter, but until 70 times seven. And the legalist in their mind thinks, how many times is that? That's, is that 490? Is that right, Brother Jim? You, my engineer, a mathematician. I got it right. <laughs> 490 times. The legalists, the people at Ephesus who would have heard that, they would have said, okay, let me get my ledger out. And when 490 times gets here, I'm done. I'm done. See, because that's how a legalist thinks. They're looking for ways to be done. You get it? This is the Pharisees, child of God. They didn't want to deal with anybody. They took the easy path. They didn't want to have to deal with offenses. They didn't want to have to deal with people's sins. I'm too holy for sins. I'm too holy to help you. That's kind of a conundrum, isn't it? I'm just too holy to help you. <laughs> if I'm too holy to help you, then I am totally profane and unholy. You see? Jesus is saying there is no end to the forgiveness. There is no end to the times that you will go to your brother or your sister and say, I've been offended. And we're going to speak about that. I, I hope to get all to all of that in one message today. But if not, y'all pray for me. We'll slow it down and, and get to it because it's very important. <laughs> so Peter says, how many times do I forgive? Seven times? <laughs> and he says, no, 70 times seven. And here we have that incredible parable. Incredible. Where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven. Listen to me. The church of God is like this. The church of God has had people in it like this right here. And when people follow the, the easy path, it leads to the death or the removing of a candlestick of a church like Ephesus had that happen to them. Jesus said, you better fix this. You better go back to your first love and fall in love and be enamored with me again. Quit being legalistic. Quit being judgmental or else. See, Jesus can say that. <laughs> it's a little more touchy if I say that. Jesus said, or else. I will remove your candlestick. We don't want that. So the only answer here, there, there's no other answer other than to come back to your first love, which is Christ. And he gives the example of the man who owed like $50 million. I wish I had time to read it all, but I don't. I'm just going to kind of summarize it. One man owed the king $50 million. And how in the world that happened? You know, it sounds like the king had some pretty bad judgment if he loaned out $50 million to this guy. And there's no way this guy can ever pay it back. And the king takes account. He says, pay it back or I'm going to put your family in, in jail, in debtor's jail. That's what, that's what existed. There was no bankruptcy courts back then. It was debtor's jail. You went to jail. Your family went to jail till the debt was paid. So this guy was fixing to get a life sentence imposed not only on him, but also on his family. And he cries out before the king. And he says, oh, king, forgive me. Have mercy upon me. I'll pay it all. <laughs> he was a positive thinker right there, wasn't he? I'll pay all that $50 million that would take a man in that day and time 10 lifetimes to pay back. He's not going to be able to pay it back. And it says that the king had compassion. Praise God for the compassion of the king. The king had compassion and forgave it. And then this same guy who gets this incredible $50 million debt forgiven, he goes out and he sees a guy that owes him $50 or maybe $5. Now, you think about the mental process or the lack of processing that's going on in the mind of this man. He has just been forgiven an infinite, colossal debt that he never could have paid back. And in his mind, he's not thinking about the debt that has been forgiven, right? He can't be thinking about the debt that's been... Because if he was thinking about the debt, the $50 million debt that's been forgiven, he would have never taken his hand and put it on the throat of this man that owed him $50 or maybe $5. You see how the process, the mental process of this man has broken down? Child of God, when we become like Ephesus, legalistic and judgmental, and we sit as judges of one another, 
we have taken our hands and put it on the throat of whoever it is we're dealing with. You hear me? And all we, you say, well, how do I get my hand off that throat? Come back to remembering what God has forgiven of you. See, the man forgot what the king had forgiven him. But come back to that and think about what Christ has forgiven you. And you can come to no other conclusion than, I must forgive that person. As a matter of fact, the same companion verses over there in the book of Luke that talk about this. <laughs> you know, where the apostles, it's funny, the apostles say, Lord, if we're going to do this, we need you to increase our faith. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> That's funny. It is, it is to me. <laughs> Increase our faith. We need more faith if we're going to forgive, if we're going to be able to do this. And Jesus said, you don't need more faith. He said, you just need to do what you're commanded to do. Christ was commanded and willingly came to this earth and willingly absorbed the loss and paid for the sins of his people. And so Christ commands us to absorb the loss that we endure and is affected against us by those that offend us. This is essential for a marriage. This is essential for friendships. This is non-optional for the church of God. I'm not preaching to you an option here today. I'm preaching to you the lifeblood of the church of God. You understand how when Jesus speaks of forgiveness, he's always using a debt analogy. Y'all see that? The man owed $50 million and the debt was forgiven. Well, who paid that debt? See, the king said, I'm having compassion and I forgive. Who paid that debt? Nobody. Nobody paid the debt. In the treasury of the kingdom, the king just absorbed the loss of that debt. You get it? $50 million is not somehow going to come back in, right? <laughs> he absorbed the loss. Each year, whenever our team there in Gordo makes it to the playoffs, for the last couple of years, we've been hosting the team to come over and have a meal on a Monday night, like the Monday night before the Friday night playoffs. And so that's a crowd of folks. <laughs> Some of them are, are pretty large. <laughs> and so Sister Tracy, she has this cute, had this cute little wicker love seat and some cute little wicker chairs. You know, it fits, it fits she, me and her just right. It fits our family just right. Well, there's one, there's one dear, dear young man who is, is a close friend of mine, and we call him Big Bird. And Big Bird's about 450 pounds. And so Big Bird took it upon himself the first time everybody came over to sit on that little wicker love seat. And you can imagine it just broke. <laughs> he broke the love seat. And I'm thinking, man, that was a cute love seat. What are we going to do? There's no way to fix it. I mean, it's, it's warped. It's broken. <laughs> of course, he said, I'm sorry. But here's the point. Okay, I didn't make him buy me another love seat. Right? And every time I see him, which is very often, very often, sometimes two or three, maybe four days a week. When I look at him, I don't think, oh, you destroyed my love scene. Yeah. You know why? Because I've absorbed the loss. And, and Sister Tracy, she's absorbed the loss. Oh, well, you know, it's, bro it, it's not the first chair that's been broken by a young person that's come to our house. And it won't be the last. <laughs> but that one was kind of unique, you know, little love seat, big bird. You know, it was kind of funny. Here, listen, when I look at big bird, I don't go, oh, man, I'm so mad at him for breaking my love seat. Oh, I don't even think about that. You know why? Because I've absorbed the loss. But I have lost now. I lost that cute little love seat. And I lost the few dollars that we paid to get that little love seat. But I don't drag it up. I don't bring it up to mind. You get that? So the question is this. You've been offended. Or your child has been offended. How do you process that? When you look at that offender, what do you think? I want to go through a few things here. That if this is what you think when you look at that offender then you have not absorbed the loss. You have not done what the king did with the $50 million debt. You know, there were some accountants and treasurers standing around there going, did he just say what I thought he said? That guy owed $50 million. Did he just say what I thought he said? He forgave it? What are we going to, how are we going to account for this? And the king says, I'll pay for it out of my treasury. You get that? <laughs> That's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you, child of grace. Can you imagine maybe the angels? I'm being a little hypothetical here, of course, but the angels standing around and watching what Jesus is doing. Can they? Can you believe what he's doing? Just say the word and we'll pull our swords and we'll destroy the world of men. That's what the angels could have done. The deputies of God, the accountants of God, if you will. And yet the Lord just hung there and he said, I'll take it. I can take it. I'll absorb it. All the offenses, all of the things. I'll take out all of what my people have committed. 
and he paid for it out of his treasury. And you know as well as I do what that treasury is filled with. That treasury is not filled with legalism. That treasury is not filled with judgment. That treasury is filled with mercy and grace and the love of God. And the Lord absorbs the loss. You say, well, Brother Tim, I just can't ever do that. Yes, you can. Don't tell another lie on God. If he forgave you, then you can forgive others. But here's some signs that a person has not absorbed the loss. Okay? And by the way, I hadn't, these are the tormentors. It says that the man went and grabbed him by the throat and said, pay me what you owe. And those, some of those same treasurers and accountants were standing around and said, good grief. They told the king. The king took the man, put him back in jail, reinstated the debt. Praise be to God. That'll never happen to you and I when it comes to our sins. But I'll tell you, child of grace, you can go through this life tormented. And that's what this is talking about right here. It says that his Lord was wroth, verse 34. The king was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due to him. There's many of God's children living with the tormentors. And they are in prison. Does that really apply to us? So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespasses. Does that make it any more clear? Listen, here are some signs of tormentors. Somebody that's living in the prison that is described right here of non-forgiveness, not absorbing the loss. First of all, when you look at that person, what comes to mind? I want you to listen very carefully to me. And I'm not saying this because there are people in the audience wearing masks or not wearing masks. And I'm not talking about anybody here. But you listen carefully to me. Because this goes to the heart of what I'm talking about. When you see somebody walking down the street and you see them coming and they're wearing a mask, what's the first thing that you think? Some people would say, oh, what an idiot. What a fool. I mean, I can't believe. If that's what you think, then you're living in torment. You hear me? If you're a person that wears a mask and you come walking down the street and you see no people with masks and you think, oh, what a bunch of idiots. Oh, they're crazy. I can't believe they don't follow. You're living in torments. See, I'm not going to leave one or the other out. (laughs) You don't need to be worried about whether or not somebody's wearing a mask or not. When you see them coming, what do you think? <laughs> I know this is silly, but there's a, there's a TV show. Some of these TV shows are just bizarre, and they just, they just boggle my mind. I mean, who really sits there and wants to watch somebody wearing a headdress over their head and a mask and sing? Y'all know the one I'm talking about? I mean, I flip through, and I'm like, have we gone that far that we're that bored? And it, you know, I know some of you watch it, and, and go ahead. It's fine. I don't, I don't, you know, whatever. But I'm just thinking... What if I put on one of those headdresses and came to church? And you said, what are you doing, Brother Tim? You're an idiot. I mean, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, I just feel more comfortable wearing this headdress and preaching to you. That's funny. I know it's funny. But let me say this. If in my mind, and in, in what I was struggling with and what I was dealing with, and that's the only way I felt like I could get here and do that, would you still let me preach? <laughs> Or maybe me and Brother Luke and Brother Neil need to do that sometime, and y'all can guess which one it is. I think that's Brother Tim under that that donkey mask. (laughs) I chose a donkey for a specific reason. For me, you understand, here's the point. Look, you said, Brother Brother Tim, you're trying to get in our business. You got that right. I am. (laughs) Why do you want me here if I'm not? You see, the political, the medical... All of that stuff that's out there and it relates to what we've been going through for the last year and a half is trying to get you to not forgive each other and not get along. Child of grace, whether you wear a headdress on your head or you wear a a mask or you don't wear a mask, I do not care. I only care that we love one another and seek what the, the intent of this is right here and don't live in torments. So whatever, wherever you fall on that issue, that is inconsequential to me. Because when I look at you, I see a child of grace touched by the grace of God that the Lord Jesus Christ is in their heart. Is that what you think when you look and see people? Now, I'm just picking on that issue because it's, a, it's an issue that's out there today. And if we don't preach about it and talk about it and, and instruct God's people about it, I think we get lost in it. We might wind up like Ephesus, right? So here are some signs... What do you, that, that a person is not absorbing the loss. What do you think about when you look at that person? If they've offended you, what do you think? Mm, boy, I, I want to get them back. <laughs> here's, here's some signs. Cutting and biting remarks. If you make cutting and biting remarks to someone, then it's a sign that you have not absorbed the loss. 
Okay? If you, and I know this can apply to husbands and wives, but it can also apply to friendships, and it definitely applies to the church family, the church body. If you drag up past offenses, remember what they did to me. They're just following along. This is the next line of the trot line of offenses. Y'all remember the trot lines? We used to go set them out, you know, and put the bait on them, and you go check them the next day and just keep pulling up fish if they were a bunch of fish on there. That's the way we do a lot of times with offenses. Well, in 1983, this person did this to me. Drag up the trot line a little further. Well, in, here, in 1991, they did something else. Drag it up a little bit. In 2001, that's the trot line of offenses. You think back on all the things that this person has done to you. You just keep dragging them up. You keep dragging. You say, I just can't take it, brother. Stop dragging up the trot line. Leave it in the blood of Christ. Somebody who drags it up has not absorbed the loss. Being overly demanding and ultra controlling. You know, you, you see somebody, oh, well, watch out for Brother Tim. <laughs> I'm going to use me. He's on a war path. You better watch out. You better clear, steer clear him. He's on the war path. He's got it in his eyes. You better watch out. Ultra demanding or overly controlling. Getting his licks in. You see, that's somebody that hadn't absorbed the loss. Can y'all see, just, those are just three little things right there. Can y'all see how this would completely demolish a church? <laughs> These things would destroy a church. Being irritable. This is another one. Now, this doesn't mean you just got up on the wrong side of the bed and had a bad morning. You know, everybody does that from time to time. I probably do it more than I should. <laughs> but to be upset over what the offender has done and, you know, you would let it go with somebody else, but you're not going to let it go with this person because you got them marked or maybe you're pulling up the trot line. See? I've used this example before. You know, a person that hasn't offended you comes and says, hey, good morning, how you doing? And you say, hey, great, it's a great morning. And the person that's offended you comes and says, hey, good morning, how you doing? What's so good about it? <laughs> you see, treating that person in an irritable way indicates that you have not absorbed the loss. Oh, boy, this is a tough one right here. Purposely avoiding and being cold to a person. Purposely avoiding or being cold. That is an indication that an individual has not absorbed the loss. Now, let me just say this. I was thinking back on this example. I can think back in my life about two times in 50 years when I figured out <laughs> that somebody was doing this to me. <laughs> they were being cold. And it's nobody here, so just relax. Don't get nervous. Those of you, there's some of you that are doing it to me that I hadn't figured out yet. I'm just kidding. <laughs> if you're sweating right there right now, let's talk afterwards. We'll exercise this and get on the right track. But there's a couple times in my life when I figured out, oh, this person's avoiding me. They're being cold to me. I'm just sort of the pie in the sky type. You know, I come from mom who the cup is half full and overflowing. You know, there's no negative Nancy's around our house, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I find, I'm like, oh, I see now. You know, maybe it was like years went by and I finally figured it out. They're avoiding me. <laughs> it, it takes me a little longer to catch on the train, you know. But all the while, that person who was doing that to me, They'd been ongoing, consistent, and doing it for all that time. And you know what? They were in torments. Because I hadn't even figured it out. They just weren't doing a very good job avoiding me, were they? See, that's the, that's the thing about this. Somebody says, well, I'm going to avoid them. and I'm going to teach them a lesson. They don't know you're teaching them a lesson. You see that? They don't know. So I'm going to teach them a lesson. I'll show them. And you do your thing and you avoid and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and just keep on doing your thing. They don't know. They're maybe dumb like me and hadn't figured it out. And then, of course, when I figured it out, I was like, oh, this person's avoiding me. You know what? I made a beeline for them. <laughs> and got it resolved. Just like that. Just like that. You see these tormentors? If you're purposely avoiding somebody or being cold towards them, you're in torments because you're not leaving it in the blood. All these indicate that a person is not in forgiveness mode. They say, oh, look at me. I'm punishing this person. I'm getting the best of them. Nobody knows. And a lot of times nobody cares. <laughs> so who's being tormented here? See, the tormentor goes out to try to torment the person and they wind up tormenting themselves. Are y'all with me? <laughs> so what do I need to do? Well, first of all, you got to leave it in the blood. <laughs> you got to leave it in the blood. You got to absorb the loss. You gotta look at the loss that's occurred and think, you know, is this on the cosmic scale of God paying for my sins on the cross? And the answer to that every single time forever and ever, amen, will be no. There is no way that anything that ever happens to you in this life or betrayal or offense or whatever, there's no way that it can compare to the Lord Jesus Christ being betrayed by you and me and having our sins laid upon him. Would you agree with that? There's no way. So. What do I do? First of all, you absorb the loss. You process that through the blood of Christ. 
Is it really that big of a deal? I'll tell you what now. I've done that. I maybe have thought I was offended by someone. And I thought, good gracious, how am I going to get through this? I'm telling you, when I finally came down to my face on the ground, and I continued to pray and continued to ask the Lord to help me deal with this, and I finally got it, it was just, I was set free from prison. I was set free from torment by absorbing the loss. Christ has absorbed my loss. For what I did to him, I can absorb the loss of what this person has done to me. Let me say this. I've said this every time I preached about this, and I'm going to say it today. Unless I'm gravely, and I could be deceived, but there are no Judas Iscariots among us. You hear me? There's no Judas Iscariots. As a matter of fact, if you think you found a Judas Iscariot, you must come talk to me. Because you might be dealing with a wolf in sheep's clothing. You say, well, I think I found a Judas Iscariot. Then you need to talk to your pastor about that. Because that's what I'm here for. To identify wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm supposed to be the under-shepherd. That's what God has charged me with. And oh my goodness, we got this Judas Iscariot. (laughs) Now, I hope that all of you are like the apostles were. You know, because they were sitting there when Jesus said, one of you will betray me. And they were all going, Lord, is it I? Is it me? Is it me? (laughs) That's a good mentality to have. Lord, I don't want to betray you. Lord, is it me? (laughs) But if you think you've identified a Judas Iscariot... God expects you to deal with that in a godly way, a biblical way, and talk to your pastor about it. Because that's what God's put me here as an under-shepherd, to watch out for the flock. (laughs) We don't want any wolves in sheep's clothing, right? Y'all may say, well, Brother Tim, you're a sheep in wolves' clothing today. Y'all get that one in a minute. (laughs) I would much rather be a sheep in wolves' clothing than to be a wolf in sheep's clothing and destroy and devour and do away with the flock. If you're irritable, if you're worried if if you look at that person and you just think "Mm, man look what they did to me you got to wash it out of you you say well i wish i could take some water and wash it out of me no or wash it off of me no i'm talking about washing it out through the blood of christ if you look over in the old testament in proverbs the 10th chapter i want you to listen to what he says about washing offenses out of your system proverbs 10 and 12 listen hatred stirreth up strifes but love covereth all sins Okay, how many sins did it say that love covers? How many did it say? It said all. Yeah, but Brother Tim, you don't know what's happened to me. Or how many times? It does not say love covers some sins. It says love covers all sins. For the elect of God, for the chosen of Christ, you better be thankful that love of Christ has covered all of your sins. (laughs) You see? And for you, child of God, to wash it out, to purge it from you, it is to be purged, it is to be washed clean through love. Once you wash it out, once you absorb the loss, and when you look at that person, now you might still be hurt. I'm not saying you're like some kind of robot and can just switch it off. You might feel hurt, but you don't look at them in irritability or anger or bite at them or avoid them or withdraw from them or just deal with them like, yeah, I'm going to get them. You're the one that's in torment if you're doing that. See, because you're not, you're taking the easy path. That's the easy path. The Word of God tells us to take the hard path. This is the hard path right here, but it's worth it. Because look at the hard path that Christ took. Once you've washed it out and you've covered it with love, then you have to make a decision. You say, am I done? Or can I still not get over this? And do I need to go and talk to them? Child of grace, do not go and talk to that person that has offended you if you are still irritable and you are still upset and you are still pointing the finger at them and you are still ultra controlling or on the war path. Do not go and do it at that point. Wait until you have absorbed the loss and then decide is the fact that, you know, Brother Tim didn't shake my hand that day. I mean, I saw he had sinuses. His eyes were puffy and, you know, his nose was running and he was he was coughing. But, oh, I'm just so mad at him because he didn't shake my hand on that day. Are you really going to come and talk to me about that? I mean, can't you wash that out and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, he was trying to protect me. <laughs> he didn't want to give me a germ. <laughs> we got to make sure that it's something that we need to go for. Okay? So the question is, do I go? Well, here the answer is, can you cover it? Love covers all sins. Can you cover it and still move forward and function and love and care about that person? If you can't, then you have to go. <laughs> See, this, this is not the easy path. I, I, th- listen, I'm not sitting here telling you something pie in the sky, Pollyanna. Well, you know, it's going to work out exactly this way if you do this. But I have done this many times myself. And I can tell you from testimony of my own experience that it always has some result. 
It has one of two results. Without exception, I have the personal experience in my life of this. It either draws you closer to that person or it drives away that person. That's what love does. When you go in the hard path, in the straight and narrow path, and you cover it with love, you absorb the loss, and you just need to talk to that person about it, then you go to them, it will have an effect. Now, it might not have the exact effect of what you want, you see? But if Jesus is your best friend, you can do this. You can't say, oh, I can do anything but this. No, I'm glad the Lord didn't say that. You know, and listen, this, this is the measuring rod of spiritual maturity, okay? Make sure we get that on the table. A person who is a disciple, a person who is a spiritually mature child of God, following the Lord, trying to do what's right, is going to take this path because there is no other path to them. The person who is not spiritually mature, who is not a disciple, who is not trying to lay their life down for the Lord, is going to just back away, be angry, be tormented, and think that they're tormenting that person. I got the best of them. Who is the disciple here? It is the person who is willing to lay down their nervousness and their anxiety and their issues that they've been dealing with and go as our master. This is the path of the master. This is the path of the Lord. This is the path of peace for the church of God. This is the way that Ephesus would come back if they came back at all. You see? The best measuring rod for spiritual maturity is you don't get off on the side and start yagging about this, that, or the other. You don't yag yag. yeah. That is not spiritually mature. Spiritual maturity is doing something about it. And this is it. But if you remain irritable and distant and purposely avoiding someone and withdrawing from someone, that's an immature Christian. That's not discipleship. But if you feel like you've got to talk to them about it, then guess what that brings us back to? Matthew, the 18th chapter. That's what Jesus says. If your brother offends you, if your sister offends you. Also, by the way, in Matthew 5, this is interesting. If you put Matthew 5 and 22 together with this in Matthew 18, you'll find... That the Lord, that's out of Jesus' mouth too in the Beatitudes, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not go worship me until you remedy this. That's something, isn't it? He said, if you go to the altar and you realize that you have trespassed against your brother, get up from the altar and go and deal with that issue. (laughs) Because you know why? Because your tormentors are not going to allow you to connect with the Lord and worship because there's something hindering your experience. You get that? Don't let that hinder your experience. Don't let offenses hinder your experience. Do something about it. Take the path of the mature Christian. Follow the Lord in these things. Don't attempt to worship God if unforgiveness is in your heart. You won't get anything out of it. But in Matthew 18, if your brother has offended you, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. Now, right that right there, that right there goes against the modern culture, doesn't it? Because... You know, people get offended, people get hurt, and what do they do? They go and blast it on Facebook. Yeah, I was reading the other day. Nobody here. I was reading the other day. Somebody had a problem with a with a car wreck and an issue, and the and the, and the insurance wasn't paying. Buddy, here they go and let loose online. Don't ever get this insurance with these kind of folks because blah 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 and blah 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 blah. I mean, just on and on. You know, just just venting, venting. You said, Brother Tim, can that can Matthew 18 really apply to insurance and car wrecks? Well, it could for sure. I'd probably be out of business if, if people really applied it. <laughs> but you understand, this goes against the grain. It does not say go and blast this and go and Twitter, put it on your Twitter feed. It says go to that person between you and him alone. Right? Talk to them alone. And if he will hear thee, Jesus didn't say he always will hear you. He says, if he will hear you, you've gained your brother. Is that not the goal? Is that not spiritual maturity? To go, to to choke down your pride and choke down your animosity and your anxiety and go to that person and restore that relationship. And the church of God moves forward in beautiful harmony. You say, well, how will anybody ever know that happened? Exactly. Because when the peanut gallery gets involved, they did what to you? They did what? They did what to who? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, <laughs> I, would, I would let them have it. You know, you don't want the peanut gallery involved. Peanut gallery is, if you never heard the term peanut gallery, I know you older folks have. But, you know, the, the naysayers, the, the crowd, you know, your, your peers, a lot of times, guys, well, you just let them have it. You know, do whatever you feels good for you. See, you, that kind of thing gets involved. You destroy the integrity of the process. See? Go and tell it between that person and them alone. Do I go? If I've washed it out of me privately, but it just won't leave you, then go. But prepare yourself when you go. That's a sermon for another day because i got two minutes. 
But you don't just go and point the finger and say, hey, you did this to me, you rascal. <laughs> that's not the way you go. You're not ready to go if that's the mentality. You prepare yourself. That's Galatians 6, chapter. you prepare yourself to go. It's not going and, and bringing the hammer down on that person. That's, that person's not ready to go. And look, as we close, again, there's no issue here. There's no issue. We don't want to wind up like Ephesus, right? We don't want God to say, you better get this right or else. They didn't have a problem with the doctrine. They didn't have a problem with praying and with, with communion. They had a problem with fellowship. And one of the reasons I believe that this is definitely on my heart is because guess what we're trying to do? Guess what we're trying to do as a church? We're trying to re-engage and reinstitute a normal experience of fellowship, which some of our, our newer folks here have never even experienced. Remember when we used to say, we meet, we eat. <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Do you know how many times at night I've, I've laid there awake with that thought on my mind? We don't eat anymore. So I believe you've got the doctrine. I believe you're praying. And I really enjoyed communion with you a few weeks ago. But like Ephesus, let's make sure that we are going forward in fellowship in a way that honors our Lord. Let me tell you, there is nobody under the sound of my voice that you can't experience a sweet, rich, and joyful relationship with in implementing these principles. Let's don't offend the little ones. Let's don't offend one another. Let's love like the little ones. You know, little ones hurt each other. <laughs> don't think that's what Jesus said. Little ones are, but don't you love the spirit of little ones? You know, out on the playground, they kick, kick each other in the shin, and I'm never playing with you again. And you look back out there, you know, they're back there playing with each other again. Jesus said that's the kind of spirit we need when it comes to our interaction with one another. Be like a little one. <laughs> and you know what? <laughs> it only takes one. Somebody says, well, I'll do this if so-and-so will just, you know, get right and them do it. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Sorry. It's you, child of God. It only takes one. Is that not Revelation, the third chapter, the, the church of the Laodiceans? Jesus said, I behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man, if anyone hears my voice and opens up and lets me in, I'll come and have sweet fellowship with that church. It only takes one. It doesn't take a church vote. It doesn't take a church court. <laughs> it only takes one. And by the way, it only took one for you to be saved from your sins. It took the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to take a vote and see if y'all think I should put that on the Internet or not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, whether it ever goes on the internet or not, it's for you because I love you. And nothing is more important to me than maintaining the forward vision and the forward movement of the kingdom of God. And that's the only choice for the church of God. There are no other choices. So may the Lord bless us to put that into practice.